Cheers. Cheers. Welcome to Movie Bitches. Welcome to Movie Bitches. That was a weird... Also, we did the wrong thing, I guess, right? Cheers. Welcome to Let's Have a Kiki with Movie Bitches. We are talking about Sundance 2021 today, and it was a unique experience. It was. It was a virtual Sundance, so you got to watch the movies from the luxury of your couch, which... Uh was cool on some level and also weird. Yeah, I agree. It was cool in the sense that like we could order takeout and eat it while watching a movie and I could watch five movies in a day because you didn't have to go wait in line or walk to a different theater. Exactly. It helped that the weather was cold and rainy. So it was like kind of Sundancey. Yeah, but then it also was a little crazy making. By Sunday, I was like, Jesus Christ, I haven't left the house. I'm going crazy. I've watched ten movies about horrifying things, and like I'm, I'm gonna go crazy. It's like the Netflix problem, right? Oh well, now you have access to every movie, so sure. you feel like you have to watch them all. Right, and it was insanity. I, I watched like four movies every day, pretty much. <laughs> I will say, I think my favorite thing about Virtual Sundance was that I could Shazam whatever song I wanted. Oh my God, I love that. Because <laughs> there was so much good music this year, sure. uh, specifically two documentaries that we'll talk about. Well, I, I will say that they did do a good job, unlike Netflix of, oh, there's so many things to watch. I feel like I have to watch everything and I can't decide what to watch. They did do a good Uh job of spacing it out day by day. There were only so many options that you could watch in a day. That's true. It was still more than humanly possible. Like, it's not like you could catch them all. But that's how it's always going to be. Like, there's just, you know, otherwise they'd only have 20 movies or something. So let's talk about some movies. Should we talk about the movie that opened the whole festival, Coda? And broke the festival. I mean, right? Was it 25 million? Yeah. That it went to Apple for? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's every year now. It's like, this is the movie that broke the last year's record. Well, right. It, you know, that's been happening for the past five years or so. Well, especially with all these streamers now coming into this space. It's like Amazon has funny money. Apple has billions of dollars. What's $25 million? That's like an iPhone, you know? <laughs> so, you know, so they just don't seem to really care, which is great for the filmmakers. I mean, that's awesome. Yes. Coda, which has a double meaning, yeah. uh, child child of a deaf adult, but also coda in music is like the refrain at the end of a piece. It worked on both levels. Yeah. I loved this movie. Yeah, I mean, I really liked it too. I don't know if I would say, I mean, I, I, I really liked it. I really liked it. I don't know if I would say I loved it, but I think I kind of did. I mean, I laughed. I cried. It's cliched, but I laughed. I cried. My heart was warmed. Yes. Uh, all of the above. It's about a young girl who's the only hearing person in her deaf family, and she loves music and she loves to sing. And she's trying to decide if she should stay and sort of be their interpreter, and should she let them all kind of rely on her, or should she go out right. on her own and follow right. her dreams? And yeah. I just loved it. I thought the acting was amazing. You did, did you know the main girl is like British or something? Oh, I didn't know that. Because the other thing about Virtual Sundance is you had the opportunity to watch the Q&A for any of the movies, even if, because usually that's only if you're at the actual premiere. 
of the movie at, at Sundance. The premiere has like the director and the cast and whatever. And then afterward, maybe yeah. they'll be around or some of them will be around. But obviously, yeah, to be able Here to watch the, the full Q&A is unique. Yes. And bonus, when it's a virtual Q&A, you don't feel bad about leaving. Right. <laughs> well, also, there was like, a, you know, they were typed questions on the Zoom. And so there was a moderator that was able to see the question before picking the person. Yes. And I think that that is yes. helpful. Instead of just raise your hand, crazy person, and ask a question that no one cares about. Right. A lot of times it's like, I just really wanted to say how much I loved this movie. And I was wondering, like, what are your plans for Sundance? And it's like, what? That's not a yeah, relevant question. I don't care about that at all. <laughs> what? So, yes, the main girl... I think she had an accent and I was like, oh my God, I never would have, I never would have guessed. Uh, sure. I didn't get even an inkling. She has an amazing voice. Yes. And let's just say we all had our love actually both sides now moment. Oh my God. Just sobbing. Sobbing. Just sobbing. <laughs> yeah. Joni Mitchell, every time. So- every time. Sobbing. God damn it. All of the acting was really great. I thought the film was beautiful. The cinematography was gorgeous. The setting was beautiful and uh, outside of Boston on the seaboard. And there's like, you know, the whole fishing subplot. I thought all of it was really well done and, and really beautiful movie overall. I will say it did remind me of a movie that I just watched on Hulu called The Ultimate Playlist of Noise, which uh-huh. is a teen movie that I really, really liked. It's kind of like, you know, like those movies that we've watched, like the, you know, oh no, this thing is uh, going wrong. Me and... and- Earl and the Dying Girl and Fault in Our uh, Stars. Faults in Our Stars and all tragedy. that. I mean, it, it's that kind of vibe. But so it's about a, a guy in, you know, high school, 18, who loves music and finds out that he has a brain tumor that needs surgery and he's going to lose his sense of hearing. And so he goes on a road trip to create the ultimate playlist of all of his favorite noises. And it's really sweet and I think it it achieves a similar kind of tone and vibe as this you know teen movies about music and and losing hearing but um I would just say go watch that one too oh great yeah in this movie another common theme was I think just about half or more of the movies um that I watched this year were directed by women yeah. this is directed by Sean Heder who did I think she did Tallulah that oh, that okay. um movie that was at Sundance a few years ago anyway I just thought this was fantastic Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer play the parents and it was like a really inviting tale into the world of deafness I thought it yes. did a great job of like portraying both sides of the you know both sides now oh my god <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but it, it just did a great job of representing all of the characters and I, I just loved it I thought this was great I agree uh, fantastic I feel like this could be a bend it like Beckham a big fat Greek wedding where it just is so enjoyable to watch and so heartwarming that yes like, you could you could watch this movie with anybody you know and it's really universal, even Absolutely. though it's about a specific thing. So I watched a documentary called Rebel Hearts, which was about right. these nuns in the 60s who, yeah. or well, like the 50s and 60s. There was like a real asshole cardinal. I think it was a cardinal, archbishop. You know, I don't, I'm not Catholic. I don't know. But I, sure, he was a higher up in California. I think it was the archbishop. And he basically uh, had come from Wall Street and then became like an archbishop and rose in the ranks. So he had all this like financial knowledge. So he sort of set up 
this whole system in California where they needed all these Catholic schools to for all the all the kids to go to. And so they sent all these nuns straight out of school, having not been educated on how to be a teacher or anything, to all right. these classrooms. They weren't being paid. They weren't they didn't have benefits. They didn't have pensions. Yikes. And um they kind of make this um, interesting because I I'm not Catholic I haven't gone to Catholic school but you do hear all those stories oh those mean nuns you know right they kind of talked about how he set up this system that these nuns were gonna fail in no matter what and so they had no training to be dealing with kids and the classroom sizes were like. 70 kids per teacher kind of craziness. Oh, Jesus. And so they're like, oh, that's where we think the sort of that mean nun stuff all came from because it was all happening for decades. And so basically there was this really fucking rad group of nuns who had a college that was separately owned. And they basically were like, no, here's our rules. This is what we want. We don't want to have to wear a habit if we don't want to we don't we need to have at least this much education if you're going to send us to a school but all this stuff and they were protesting for everyone to be equal you know have equal rights they went to all these protest rallies and they were just fab they were fabulous ladies so it was cool it was a really cool story the doc relied a little bit too much on that thing that's become popular where it's like here's an animated section because we didn't have footage Sure. So it was a little bit heavy leaning on that. And I watched the Q&A and the director is actually an editor of a lot of documentaries. And I was like, oh, this Mm. makes a lot of sense. Like it felt like more like a movie that was found in the editing room than in the filming kind of thing. Sure. It was cool. It was a good story. And um, I won't tell you everything else that happened. But. Oh, okay. Well, you know, just because if you want to watch it. but. But it was um it was very very interesting story. So that one was called Rebel Hearts. That was good. Well, I will say I feel like the documentaries this year were on a whole much better than the narrative films. Yeah, I would. It was also there was like a weird trend that I noticed where every movie seemed to be an hour and twenty something minutes long, and yet most of them all felt like they were five years long, which I know is rude, but like. The pacing seemed to be such an issue this year. It was, Extra um, confounding that it was so short of a film often. And well, yet, I, I think about five or six times I would go to hit play and I'd say, oh, yes, this movie's only an hour and tw- 11 minutes. Yes. Why did I fall asleep? What right? has happened? What is going on? It was um, so weird. A lot of it was pacing. A lot of it was... The score of movies, there was a lot of like mournful strings mm, that were yeah. just, just zap, they zap all the energy out of a scene unless you're trying, you know, unless you're doing a certain kind of movie. So I agree. Uh, often yeah. I was like, why is this so boring? What has happened? Yeah, that's, that's strange. Speaking of animation in documentaries, I watched one called Flea, which is entirely animated. It's a documentary that's entirely animated. Oh, well, that's cool. Like, that's a choice. Yes, it was a choice. And it was so it's a story about a guy in Denmark whose friend was a refugee. They'd known each other. They grew up together, essentially. They'd known each other for years. And the friend's story was always kind of weird and vague. And it was just this kind of, like, seemingly almost rehearsed thing of, oh, all of his family was killed in 
Afghanistan and now he's he's here alone which is tragic obviously turns out it was also untrue oh and so he keeps his friend anonymous not entirely clear as to why he's now married and uh, you know it seems like there would be no question as to his citizenship but perhaps it could implicate family members or or whatever else so they they keep him anonymous the animation is beautiful it's really well done and it's like an artistic choice in and of itself so it worked really well that helps yeah that helps so they retrace his entire story of growing up and fleeing from the war and living in russia and it's 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 a little heavy at times but again the animation is so beautiful and like there's optimism in all of it and and it ends up with him marrying a man and so there's like this lgbt undertones of it that was all really cool and so i really liked it and it, it was not light but it wasn't like super depressing well that's good and um, do we find out why he was telling that story because he didn't want to implicate other people. Okay, so the way that he was smuggled out of Russia, the traffickers said to him, he was a, a child. He was like 14 or something. They said, this is what you have to tell them when you get into the into the Netherlands or into Denmark. And you have to tell them that, that your whole family was died, that you're alone, that you have no one, and you can't let anyone find out. And so for so long, he was just afraid and then he had like at okay. some point he said he had a boyfriend that he had told and then when they broke like they broke up and the boyfriend threatened to like turn him into you know customs and whatever so i there was this fear Whoa. yeah it was a lot i was like jesus christ people are terrible yeah what but, is so wrong I, with I, people oh my god right like seriously well the whole thing is just like oh my god this is horrible that his family went through such terror fleeing a war it was it's all upsetting but it was a well-told story and it, it was, you know, happy in the end for the most part. I would recommend it, but obviously, like, you know, it is upsetting in parts. Watch it on a day where you're feeling strong. Exactly. <laughs> Not to just keep talking about documentaries, but speaking of documentaries, can we talk about Summer of Soul? I would love to. I loved this movie. Oh, so amazing. So amazing. Basically, the backstory is... The same, the summer of 69, the same summer that Woodstock happened, there was a yep. Harlem Music Festival in the park and they set it up. It was four, four weekends in a row where they just had the most amazing lineup of musicians, Gladys Knight, Nina Simone. Uh, I can't, I, I should have written them all down. It was just amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the archival footage was incredible that they had and it was like right. this was just sitting on a shelf for 50 years and and thank god it was found or or you know I, they didn't get into that of right like where the footage came from and i kind of would have liked to know but they focused more on on the people and what the actual festival meant uh, culturally and i think right you know that's more important well yeah so the the sort of hook is this uh raw footage of the concert sat in a basement for 50 years but we don't find out more beyond that really and this could have easily just been a concert movie. Like it, it would have been very good and fully entertaining and great. But what I really liked is, so Questlove directed it. Yeah. And he did such an amazing job of incorporating a lot of different sides of all, the whole encompassing of what was going on yes. in Harlem at the time. 
And I thought it was fantastic. Like, I'm ready for his next movie. I I just couldn't believe how well put together it was. It was great. Like you said, it could have just been a a concert movie. And that would have been nice enough. And ooh, how cool to see this footage. But the way that he... Well, first of all, there were so many different... You know, there were four weekends, but there were so many different types of music. And he wove this story along and kept you going of, of going from one type of music and what that meant to a different type of music. And now let's tie that in with the current events. And, you know, oh, there was the moon, you know, landing. And then asking these, you know, there was footage of, of the news asking people like, oh, well, what do you think about the moon landing? And they're like, who cares? What a waste of money. There are people starving in Harlem. And all of that kind of weaves in with all of these other things. It was really well told. I thought it was fabulous. And it was it was optimistic. It was joyous yes. of showing, you know, this spectacular talent and creativity of these oh. you know black artists or or people of color and and also of what it meant for all of them to have a, a gathering where people could come together and there were so many people commenting in the th- documentary saying you know this was the first time i'd seen a whole crowd of black people and it was amazing and it's like that I think that's right. important to show because it wasn't shown on TV. That was the problem. That was the whole thing. It was so compelling. I just can't say enough. Go watch it. I hope they release the soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> can't wait. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I hope they release more of the footage. So I, I saw it was picked up by Hulu. So we'll see. Maybe they'll do like extras or something where it's like, oh, now you can watch, you know, all of Stevie Wonder because I would absolutely do that. Oh, yes. And Abby Lincoln and Max Rauch. Oh, so good. Yes. Oh, and all the Hugh Masekela stuff. And yes. then they brought in, there was a whole section about Latin influences and East Harlem was like the Puerto Rican side and right. all yeah. that stuff. Can't say enough. Go watch we it. We got our, our first uh, cameo of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. He seemed to really of pop course. up in a lot of documentaries he, this year. He was very involved. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it became a drinking game of Sundance, I feel like, where it was like, oh, there's Lin-Manuel Miranda again. Ah, great. <laughs> so I watched another movie. Surprise, okay. surprise. This one was <laughs> called... I'm starting to lose it. This one was called Superior, also directed by a woman. And nice. uh, what intrigued me about the description was it said that every frame was vibrant and filled with colors. and like Right, I remember of the description. The yeah. look of the movie. It started, and I was really into this movie. It starts, it's almost like Blood Simple, but like if Brian De Palma put his color filters on it. And there's a woman being chased down a sidewalk. It's all very exciting. There's a crazy guy. Like it almost has like a David Lynch sort of dreamlike quality. I was like, yes, I am so into this movie. And it turns out there's these two twins. One of them's kind of rock and roll. One of them's more vanilla. And they haven't seen each other in, in five or six years, something like that. And they tease that something happened. We end up never finding out what happened. It's almost like that movie Persona, where it's like the women like kind of want to become each other. Eventually, they like switch places. And the, the person that the rock and roll twin is running from is, you know, mistaking so it's the, princess the wrong switch. twin. It's the princess switch! <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say, the first, I'd say, 30, 40 minutes, I was like, I'm in. This is cool. The main actresses are actually twins who I think helped oh. write the movie. And oh. the soundtrack was good. Then it just really became a slog and nothing happened. And it was Ooh. really slow. And 
it just started to go nowhere and oh, yes. I got really, really, really bored and it was too bad because it started strong. And I think I remember in the beginning or the Q&A, someone had said that this had started as a short that then they turned uh, into a feature, I want to say. And I was like, oh, everything makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's like, so, you know, that needed to just stay a short. Yeah. Or you needed to really open it up and... Because, like, we right. don't find out what happened between the two twins. Which is so weird, and I hate that. I hate it, particularly when it's teased for so long. It was just like, oh, I guess, who cares? And so it wasn't awful, but it got real slow. And it started so good that I was, like, bummed. So I... Yeah. Uh, it was a maybe. But it got okay. real boring. <laughs> Unfortunately. That's a bummer. Well, I would say another maybe that I watched was How It Ends, which is the Zoe Lister-Jones. And I really like her, and I liked we, we really liked um, Band-Aid, which we saw at Sundance a couple years ago. <gasps> Loved Band-Aid. And so I was excited for this. I was a little nervous because it's an apocalypse movie, and yeah. it was filmed during quarantine. And There's so many, it seems, at Sundance end-of-the-world movies. Not just this year. Yeah. Remember last year? There sure. was that one about the aliens. Um, I liked Save Yourself, Like the hipster though. couple. Oh, I liked it. I'm just saying there's a lot of movies about, like, it's the last night on Earth. And I'm like, okay. Right. Well, eh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quick question. So did Zoe Lister-Jones direct this also? Yes. She directed it with her husband, and they wrote it together. It was like a therapy session. Oh, is no. the kind oh, of no. yeah and in the Q&A they were kind of talking about how like they've been going to therapy and how like they've been trying to work their way through you know covid and and lockdown and and being at home and on one hand it i was, was like evident, sure that's nice evident in the filmmaking it was very evident because it basically was just a celebrity house tour of comedians mm. it felt like we've been stuck at home for 2 months and I'm going crazy and I just want to be creative. Why don't we call up all of our comedian friends and we can film stuff outside of their houses and weave it into a story about a meteor is about to strike you know, the earth and this is the last day. And, and she's coming to terms with that. So was the, was the six foot apartness of it explained away within? Or nope. was it just like, oh, we, this is my dance space. We're not talking about it. <laughs> We're not talking about it. That was what was weird, was that it was just like, oh, everything's outside. Oh, now I'm going to sit around this fire pit with you. I'm never going to go into a house. It was that. And I was like, oh, okay. That was what was, I think, weird to it, too, was that like the the end of the world was that it was an asteroid coming. It had nothing to do with COVID. So it was like, well, these safety precautions are purely for something that's unrelated to the plot of the film. If the comet was coming, I feel like there'd be a lot of hugging. Exactly, right. You know, that's what you would think. And, and instead, there was, there was in fact not. Basically, it was like an assemblage of skits where she would walk from one person to another. Sometimes it was better than others. You know, Helen Hunt gave an Oscar-worthy performance as her mom. Oh, love and, that. Love and it, it was just... I was just like gobsmacked as they're just having this thing. And I was just like, God damn it, Helen Hunt, you are a fucking goddess of fabulous. <laughs> like she's just so talented. In fact, yes. and then there were others where it was just like, oh, I think you're just improving, sir. And it's not necessarily funny. Oh, 
So, you know, um, there was that. Mixed bag. A mixed bag. (laughs) A mixed bag, yeah. Fred Armisen shows up. Nick Kroll shows up. Whitney Cummings shows up. Olivia Wilde. Holly Shore shows up at a party, which made me uncomfortable. Because I was like, I know that you're filming this in lockdown, but then there's a party of 25 people outside still. But, like, yikes. Oh, no. Yeah, it was I thought I thought you were just going to say... Polly Shore showed up at a party and it made me uncomfortable. Oh, because it's Polly Shore? No. <laughs> but yeah. So do I we s- know that it's like Helen Hunt's house? Like, is it her house? I would it assume. Seems to be. It seemed to be this was the house of all of these celebrities. And it was like, hey, come outside your house and we're going to film. And it'll take, you know, an hour. And won't that be fun? And everyone was like, yeah, that'd be great. I really could use some creativity right now. And so then they did it. So that's an experiment that was somewhat successful. Somewhat successful. Kind of fun. It was certainly watchable. It did get a little slow here and there, especially the ones where they didn't really land, where you're just like, oh, this this scene's not working. Can we move on? I will say, so the plot revolves around her and her younger self who has been fully realized. Fred Armisen shows up as like a 90-year-old's younger self and is okay. just like, oh, I'm, you know, metaphysically realized today because I guess people are really coming to terms with the end of the world. It was not fully explained. So it's okay. Zoe Lister-Jones and this actress, Kaylee Spaney, who was great. Cool. And they're walking around and basically she has to come to terms with, you know, herself and love herself so that she can die in the end of the world. It was fine. Okay. Well, speaking of fabulous hunts, we can yeah. say cunt here, right? We, yeah, I think we can say it on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Can we talk about the Rita Moreno documentary? Oh my God. Yes, please. A plus for Rita Moreno. Yes. Uh, B minus for the, for the documentary itself. Yeah, as a, as a film, you know, filmmaking-wise, it was fine. It was like an A&E 60 minutes whatever piece of like, oh, here, now we're going to talk to you about this fabulous cunt. Um, but then you're like, oh, my God, Rita Moreno, you're a fabulous cunt. So it, it, yeah, exactly. It, you know, um, <laughs> I was enthralled by her, less so by the film. I do think, though, that there's something to be said. A woman directed this as well, and she is the mom of the child that plays Rita Moreno's grandson on One Day at a Time, because I watched the Q&A. So she sort of had, you know, had a relationship with her uh, prior. So I think you could tell that they were comfortable with each other, and they obviously both speak Spanish. I think Rita Moreno opened up more than she perhaps you know, would have with someone else who she didn't feel as comfortable with, is what I would say. Like, they did get a pretty raw interview with her. Oh, certainly. It was emotional and oftentimes upsetting. I mean, you know, so it it follows her entire career, which was expansive and diverse and starting off so early in Hollywood as a woman, attractive, sexy woman. You know, a woman of color that like there was so much there to unpack and how poorly she was treated, which was angering and frustrating and sad. At some point, she literally in this interview just says, and then my agent raped me. And you're just like, holy fuck, this is awful. Yeah. You know, I don't think that kind of thing ever goes away, but she seems at peace with it and she's moved on and she's not letting it control her. Sure. Um, But I just mean that like as far as the A&E of it all... I think they wouldn't have gotten such a raw uh, 
telling of her story. Is Absolutely. Like, but the most effective part of the movie is just how honest she is and, you know, vulnerable. That is a good point that, like, I don't know if a lot of documentaries would have been bold enough to tackle as much of the subject matter that, that needed to be told, that should be told and, and seen and talked about. And I think even if you look at like the conversation now of the Britney Spears stuff, you know, as we look at these interviews, the way that society treats, you know, you, you look back at the Whitney Houston interviews again, and it's just like the way that these women were treated. It reminded me also of um, yeah. the Amy documentary and how like, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. It's heartbreaking of just the way that these celebrities and it's particularly celebrity women are treated is awful. And the ones that make it through are so strong. Yes. So I would say definitely watch it if you're interested yes. In Rita Moreno, which who you should be, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oh, and I uh, found out I didn't realize that my whole life I thought that hey you guys was from the Goonies. Goonies, but it turns out that Sloth was quoting Rita Moreno from the Electric Company. Yeah, crazy, right? I didn't know. That was a wow for me. I was like, what? Right? I had this. I was like, oh shit, that's what that's from crazy. I would recommend it because I thought that it was really a a fascinating story about a fabulous, fabulous bunt. Oh, right. And it's called Rita Moreno, colon, a girl that just decided to go for it. Because she found this shirt, this sweatshirt that was bejeweled that said that. Right, it was like bedazzled. Yeah. And she wore it to her like Lifetime Achievement Award. I loved that. I was like, she's just great. So I watched another movie called El Planeta, which is a Spanish film, also directed by a woman. So basically, it kind of sounded like it was going to be like Heartbreakers. Now, obviously, I wasn't expecting it to be that amazing because things rarely are as amazing as Heartbreakers. But uh, it was sort of like mother-daughter conning people. After after a tragedy, they're conning people to stay afloat because they're in debt uh, kind of thing. So I thought it was going to be more fun. Uh, and it was, it was billed as a comedy. I think maybe some of it was lost in translation. Well, just like, um, the humor is different. You know what I mean? Like it's just, uh, and so, you know, it starts and there's this young girl and this kind of gross guy and they're just having like a really casual conversation about, is she going to let him pay her to piss on her? And they're just having, like, they're just in a cafe and she's like, Oh, I guess so, if that's what you're into. But um, how much do you think? And he's, like, lowballing her. And she's like, oh, I don't know if that's worth sucking a dick for. And I, I think it's supposed to be funny how blasé it is. But you're just sort of like, oh, uh, I'm sad at the desperate situation you find yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> so um, both the main actresses were great. The mom is actually a mother-daughter. And the oh. daughter directed the movie. The costumes are fabulous. Like the daughter is like a fashion stylist. Like her job in the in the movie is that. Similar to Superior, where it started sort of strong visually. It's in black and white, but like visually it was strong. The costumes were engaging and the they really obviously they're actually mother and daughter, but they really captured the like mother-daughter relationship very authentically. Oh, that's nice. On camera. But it did sort of get real snoozy. And it was probably only an hour and twenty minutes, right? I think it was an hour and 11 minutes, oh my to be God. honest. It's just so crazy to me, and like the pacing. I would say it's, again, it's kind of a, eh, maybe. There's so many movies that I started and I was like, yeah, into this slow decline. No. 
<laughs> so eh, that one was a, eh, I wouldn't rush out to see it. So I will say I watched one that I would recommend. Speaking of sex, it was called Pleasure. <laughs> it's about a girl who comes to Las Vegas from Sweden to get into porn. She wants to get into porn. And so it's kind of showgirls-esque in its vibe, but like not crazy and campy. It's just like artistic and and indie. I'll say this. I would rather watch a movie about a woman who wants to get into porn than a movie about a woman who is forced to get into porn. (laughs) Exactly. It's kind of in between. Sometimes you're wondering, is she into this? And I think she's learning the answers to those questions too. She goes to a set with a female director that's like a rough scene where she's tied up, whole elaborate swing thing. And there's like a guy is whipping her or whatever. But the director is like very conscientious of consent, of her comfort. Okay, we have, you know, red, yellow, green. If you're ever uncomfortable, the guy is like, okay, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Here we go. It's going to be great. Like, let me know if there's anything that's not okay. And so she was like, oh, I enjoyed this. And so she tells her agent, sign me up for, for rough stuff. And then she has like a rough scene with a male director oh, no. and these two guys. And it is bad. And so then she oh, no. like... It was it was it was awful to watch. In all honesty, so it, there was a lot going on, and there was a lot about you know female friendships. It was very interesting, and so I thought it was so well done that I would I would recommend it. It was well acted, it was well paced, it was a fascinating, emotional, interesting look at a very specific world. Well, there you go. On a completely separate note, can we talk about the Sesame Street documentary? <laughs> It was Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street. Also directed by a woman. It's the same person who did uh, Mad Hot Ballroom, which I love. I love Mad Hot Ballroom. I thought this was such an amazing documentary. Same thing with Summer of Soul. It covered so many topics and yet felt comprehensive, didn't feel rushed. I was really, really into this. It was about sort of how Sesame Street came to be, the producers behind it, uh, and all the creative types. And how they were just a bunch of creative, wacky people who happened to be like it was kind of like um, everything aligned. Right. It all came yeah, together. The stars and all aligned. The everything came together in just this, yeah. you know, lightning in a bottle. Exactly. And I mean, I, I could watch a footage of Frank Oz and Jim Henson for till the end of time. Had a great sure. time watching. Kind of made me want to watch this. There might be one and I haven't seen it, but I was like, ooh, where's like the Jim Henson doc? Because I was wondering, they're talking about how they just like basically slept at the studio because they were working so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out when, because the Muppet show was on at least overlapping some years as Sesame Street. So I was kind of like, oh, when did that kind of coalesce? And he was also, Jim Henson was also doing movies and stuff. But I think this this doc did a good job of not making it all about Jim Henson, which was great also. Yeah, I agree. It was about Sesame Street, you know, and he was part of it, obviously. But like, it wasn't about him. Yeah, it easily could have taken over. But it did make me want to see just like a Jim Henson doc also. Sure. I'd be into that. Or Frank Oz doc. I mean, Ooh, love yes. Frank Oz. I think that's probably one that certainly should be. You know, it's like, oh, people know who Jimmy Henson is more than Frank Oz, I think. Uh-huh. I don't think Frank Oz gets the kudos that I think he deserves. 
Sure. From Yoda to Miss Piggy. I mean, my God. Well, and, and directing, too. All of his movies, yeah. In and Out um, is the first one that came to mind, but there's a bunch. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, I thought Streaking yeah. was really good. I mean, I was sobbing when they were talking about... Sobbing. When Mr. Hooper died in real life, and then yeah. they had to sort of address it on the show. Uh, bawling. Yeah. Just bawling. But in a good way. You know, like it was like a, a, it was a cathartic cleansing cry. Yes. And it was, there was like the nostalgia factor. I mean, I was like, oh my God, Grover, like who's my favorite? Just so excited to see all of it. And it didn't, um, I was like, you know, just ever so slightly worried, like, ooh, is seeing behind the curtain and seeing the puppeteers doing it is like, it's a little bit of the magic going to go away. And it didn't at all. No. I would say the only thing that was a real bummer about this is that there's like, I just saw a clip recently where there was a DoorDash commercial on Sesame Street because it's like Uh not on PBS anymore. And so I was just like really depressed that now this like fabulous legacy that they had is being tarnished by commercialism. I didn't know that happened. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think it's on HBO now is Sesame Street. It's like on HBO Max. Why? The uh, whole be- point is that it's supposed to be free for everyone. Oh, God damn it. Exactly. Exactly. I know. So, you know, that was the, 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 the documentary didn't address that. And maybe they should have. But, um, you know, that was the, the most depressing thing for me was just like, oh, gosh, this was such a beautiful thing they created. And now it's owned by HBO Max. Great. They left that out and they really didn't uncover that stone about Bert and Ernie. They really left. Yes, out. right. I was like, oh, they're not going to talk about how they're gay, they're gay friends, because they're they're really hinting at it. And I was like, well, when are they going to get into that chapter? Oh, they never did. It was heavily implied yes. in the doc. Heavily yes. implied. I still have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve stuck in my head. Still. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. Well. <laughs> that wasn't an earworm for you. Uh, no. I don't oh, know. Okay. It's funny. I like remember all of the characters of Sesame Street, and I loved watching it as mm. a kid. But I don't really remember much of it. I remember, you know, not like specific episodes, but I do like the songs when they played them. It was like, oh, I've uh, it like brought me back. Like I still knew the lyrics. Like I was like, oh, my God. Sure. Well, that's the point, right? I mean, that was what was so so smart about it was teaching kids yeah. through through songs. Exactly. So I would highly, highly recommend Street Gang. How yes. we got to Sesame yes. Street. Now, I will say ironically or unironically, I do think that this is on HBO. That is perhaps why they did not address the HBO <laughs> that, bio. That, that makes sense. Now that I think about it. Oh my God, of course. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I watched another documentary that was great. A little long. I'd say like okay. 10 minutes too long. But still really, really great. It was called The Sparks Brothers. And it's directed by Edgar Wright. It's oh. his first documentary. The whole write-up is Sparks Brothers, the band that you've never heard of, but it's influenced every musician you could possibly think of, basically. It didn't disappoint. I did not know. The band is actually just called Sparks, and they are brothers. Um, gotcha. There's a whole bit about how they... Because they used to be called Half Nelson way back when. Oh. And their album didn't sell and they're like let's think of something else so they were like let's call you the sparks brothers because you like the marx brothers and they were like "Mm, how about sparks we don't want to be like you know brothers or whatever this is a great documentary for anyone who loves music the sparks brothers have basically attacked every genre and they kind of um conclude by the end like maybe the reason that they 
have stayed somewhat underground or haven't blown up is because they don't have one sound. They didn't just keep doing the same music over and over. They've got a disco section. They did punk. They did this. They did that. All of it. They've been making music since the 60s. They're still making music. I tell you what, I was Shazamming the whole time. Okay. <laughs> And I have been listening to Sparks nonstop since watching this documentary. And so I think if you already like Sparks and want to watch a two-hour documentary praising them for being fabulous, you'll like it. And if you have no idea who Sparks are, you'll be like, holy shit, how did I never know about this band? I'm obsessed. So I would recommend it. Is there like a song that I would know? Well, there was all there a lot of their songs have humor in them so they also sort of got written off as being like jokey gotcha. um, in many ways i don't think there's one singular song you would have heard of i had heard one song previous that was on the valley girl soundtrack eaten by the monster love. of love that was the only song i had heard <laughs> gotcha but they interview all these musicians and and basically what happened was like the two brothers have always been together making music but they sort of got new bands along the way. So they interview all their past bandmates and Mm -hmm. they interview all these musicians. It was really great. I would recommend it. Cool. One that I watched was called First Date, which I wanted to really love. It almost could have been a hilarious, fun, not raunchy time, but like um, gritty. Like super Basically... Is super bad esque. Yeah, it's like so. This guy goes. He he finally gets the courage to ask this girl out. You know, he's in high school, and his parents are leaving town and taking the car, and so he doesn't have a car to pick her up. And rather than say, "Hey, can we meet somewhere?" He takes <laughs> the the money that they left him for the weekend to go buy a car on Craigslist, and the car that he oh. buys. Turns out he was going to go buy like a, a Toyota Camry or whatever from from some guy. Well, the guy already sold it. So he's like, oh, I have this other one in the garage. You want this one? So he buys that one. Well, it turns out it has a bunch of drugs in it. And he gets implicated in the middle of this drug heist, drug lordy trade-off, where's my money situation. There's a uh... lot of shooting, a lot of death count. The acting was bad. Oh, and no. the comedy was bad, and the pacing was not good. Oh, this could have been fun. And instead, mm-hmm. it kind of just fell short on most different aspects. I know that's really harsh, but like it just didn't get there for me in any way. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like um like a game night or something, where it's like, oh, just normal people who, oh my god, drug dealers and guns, you know, where it like become it like escalates. And sometimes that works. And sometimes it doesn't. It was very that it was very game night, except the cast was not nearly as strong. I mean, Rachel McAdams, in my opinion, can pretty much do no wrong. Uh, Yeah, I mean, she even was not the worst part of True Detective season two. There you go. (laughs) There's that. Remember True Detective season two when it just Jumped off a cliff. Wow. I've never seen it. Thelma Louise itself. You know what? You wouldn't like it. Yeah, that's why I have not watched it. (laughs) You wouldn't care for it. Well, speaking of bad actors, should we talk about our hashtag J? Oh, boy. I I don't know if I'm mentally prepared to talk about our hashtag J. Oh, no. Oh, boy. We could talk about something else. Oh, no, I'm, I was just being facetious. We can talk about okay, it. Okay, good. Facetious. Okay. I, I was just being facetious. Well, okay, so our hashtag J 
uh, the millennial... Gen Z, Romeo and Juliet. Gen Z, sorry, sorry. The Gen Z <laughs> unfriended, you know, it's all on a phone screen movie. Right. Which yes. I found to be exhausting. There was a, a lot bit. of reading of text and <laughs> yes. emails and comments. And there's a lot happening, coming at me. And... <laughs> You know, it was an interesting idea. I think this is one of the first movies I've seen that really captured the social media of it all properly. Right. Where it yes. didn't, like it was dumb that it was all on a phone, but it all the stuff in within the social media rang true. Like the sending each other gifts and the comments like were actually, you know, a bot didn't write them. Like somebody thought about like, oh, we have to use the right vernacular for these like live stream comments and stuff like that. Right. So I would almost want to see this director do just like a normal rom-com that happens that had like social media stuff involved. Right, right. Like, yeah, that's actually very a good point. Like if there was a teen rom-com that they did where it was just like, you know, Mm -hmm. teenagers living in, you know, Los Angeles or New York or whatever and communicating via social media and then they fall in love or whatever it is. You know, if it's you've got mail, but, you know, via Instagram sliding yes. to our DMs. Like, I'm kind of into that idea. Wait, but like, yes, though. Where's but that like, movie? yeah. And, <laughs> and it's called Slide Into Her DMs, by the way. That's what it's called. <laughs> I mean, it's not you called go. You've Got Mail. It's called Slide Into Her DMs. That is what it's called. <laughs> Starring Kat from Bold Type. Yes. No, she might be too old at this point for that movie, I think. So it's, it's Romeo and Juliet, Gen Z on a phone. All on a phone. It's basically and Romeo plus Juliet, but for this yes, generation. that's more accurate. I mean, the acting is is no bueno. It is not good. Um, <laughs> it is not good. Juliet. It is not Leonardo DiCaprio Juliet, or Claire Danes. No, no. I mean, you know, I think Romeo and Juliet is always going to lend itself to being melodramatic, obviously. But wow, no. It was... Uh, <laughs> Things happen quickly in Verona also. Yes. I was like, it's been 20 minutes and Tybalt's already dead. What's happened? It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, the success of this film was the vibe. It was very a vibe. It was very a vibe. So much of it was on a phone. Like you could edit this movie entirely differently if you wanted to because it's all just on a phone. There's probably 20 yes. minutes of acting in, in an hour and 20 minute long movie. There's a like, lot of off-camera breathing acting Ooh, which was bad like the fact that juliet was so yeah (laughs) just breathing how how do you make off-camera breathing acting actively bad i i don't know there was also just like a lot to keep track of right like they're his phone is in dark mode and hers is not and they're switching back and forth between they're texting each other and you have to kind of track, oh, that's, no, that's his phone because he's in dark mode. And then, no, right. they've switched to Instagram. And I know I sound like a grandma, but it was like an hour and a half of sort of like watching vapid people fall in love. Right. All via their phones. <laughs> well, right. Via the their phones. The story itself, too. The, you've known each other for three days. Have you even slept with the for guy? For three days. <laughs> You're such a stupid bitch. I think a few things to note. Can we talk about the branding? Oh, I mean, uh, on point. Uh, vis-a-vis, that's how they got funding, right? Wait, what do you mean that's how they got funding? Because of all the products and stuff, no? Oh, sorry. Can we talk about them being branded? 
Oh my god! I thought you just meant that they literally like got to use in uh, Instagram's interface and shit. <laughs> I mean, because, I don't you know. know if it's they, a Gen I, Z I, movie. It's very much about branding, and then they literally right. get branded. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! This scene was insane. Yes, they find a shaman person uh, who lights sage and should be in jail. He yes. literally. <laughs> All a, a, a cattle, like a like a you know iron cow branding. Yeah, cattle iron. They brand each other with. I thought it was gonna be like a cutesy little thing on their wrist. Oh, it's like little and hmm. right. It's oh, we got huge. matching tattoos. When we put them together, then you know they they match. And isn't that cute? It was the length of their entire forearms. They were yeah. branded. Oh my it's like, god! Like this man should be in jail. These are minors. What has happened? <laughs> yes. For the wow of it all, you could watch it, but it it did feel like homework a bit. I was like, oh my god, there is oh, a lot yeah, of reading, keep track. Of but I did stuff. enjoy the vibes and the acting was terrible. It was watchable. It was short. The costumes yeah. were like engaging. I mean, of course, Mercutio is always the star. Why um, yeah. Angel from Dexter needed to be her dad for four seconds uh, was not sure about that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> He's I like mean, a character actor. And the only time you actually see his face is in either pictures or that where he's like at the party and he's like right. randomly live streaming him and Tybalt are fighting and you like right. half see his face. And I was like, why is this man in this movie? What's happened? I mean, do we talk about the spoiler? Oh, of course we have to talk about the spoiler. So you would think, okay, Romeo and Juliet, I know how this story ends. It's a tale as old as time. And the, they both have live stream committed suicide and, oh, no, what are we going to do? And it brings the families together. And then in a post credit scene, almost, yeah, it is revealed that they have faked their own deaths because they can't handle their families and they are going to run away together. They're like 15, right? <laughs> I mean, they certainly were not 18, so, I mean, maybe no. they can figure out, like, some sort of emancipated youth situation. But, yeah. Um, but that will then I reveal mean, that they are not, in fact, dead. That was the whole, like, they have to protect, they have to remain dead. They can't be like, oh, JK, back, right. give us our trust fund. What? I mean, I, 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 uh, I guess they could. You know, maybe it's like, oh, well, just kidding, we're not dead. Ha-ha. We really upset you, but look, it brought you together and realized how stupid you'd been because, you know, everyone was dying like, around um, you. I don't know. I feel like they would be libel if they committed suicide live on Instagram. They would be libel if they were like, haha, JK. Liable for what? Like for promoting suicide. Because the whole time I was like, teenage suicide, don't, don't do it. Do you know, it. I was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think that they would get sued? By who? Unless someone else committed suicide because they were inspired by them. Well, it's not I like they like told other people to happened. commit suicide. It was just it like so undercut the whole point because, you know, why? if you're just going to fake your own deaths, why bother with the whole sleeping potion? Oh, no, miscommunication. I thought she was dead. Then I thought right. he was dead. Oh, no, no, no. Like, it just right. is like, oh, you had way too complicated of a plan. Just just kill yourselves then. What's happened? No. Oh, my God. It was like Ophelia. It was like Ophelia. We're just rewriting history so it's not a tragedy. Well, what is the fucking point? What are we doing? <laughs> yep. Yep. So, I mean, this was watchable, but uh, I think with friends. I think if you watch this with 
a group of people with a lot of wine. This could yes. be really fun. I was going to say, with, with, with substances, yes, I think it could be yes. fun. I think this was like the 12th movie I had seen, and sure. I was watching it by myself. So I was like, oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. boy. Yeah, no. I mean, it was silly. Like, I think, yes, it, it could be entertaining if you were not taking it too seriously. Which I wasn't. But also, I was like, oh, my God. So well, right. much texting is happening. <laughs> so many office gifts. So many office yes. gifts. Yes. I was wondering, what's, like, the copyright on gifts? Like, what... Did they have to clear all those? Like, what was the... Oh, that's a great question. Because that was part of what felt so organically true. Right. Where I feel yeah. like... In, you know, uh, other movies where they're, like, trying to be cool and hip. Like, they don't get the the sort of back and forth and the vibe and the language of how people talk online. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I would think well, you probably would have to clear that. Probably, yeah. So, yeah, you could watch it. You, you yeah. could watch it. Yeah, you could I mean, watch it's called it. R hashtag J. I mean, come on. Come Although, on. <laughs> uh, not, a, not a proper hashtag, by the way. Hashtag RJ. Sure, it doesn't have the same ring, but yeah. So I watched another movie I thought would be a slam dunk. I was like, I've been watching all these movies. They're getting real snoozy. The pacing is slow and boring. I'm going to watch this crazy fucking Japanese movie with Nick Cage called Prisoners oh. of the Ghostland. It's going to be nerds. I can't wait, snooze. <gasps> what oh, happened? No. no. I was so confused. It wasn't like totally awful, but... I didn't care about any of the characters or the stakes. It was mm. somewhere between Mad Max Fury Road and Turbo Kid, which should be a sweet spot, right? That should be yeah. like a full yes. Yeah. But the music was kind of lully and it just had so many, in a way, so many cliches of stuff I've seen before. Like it felt like a Roger Corman movie. The whole point is like Nick Cage robbed a bank with Nick Cassavetes is in this movie. Oh. Weird. He directed The Notebook and is also right. an actor. I just always find it important to bring up the fact that Nick Cassavetes directed The Notebook. <laughs> <laughs> they rob a bank. It goes south. Nick Cassavetes is crazy. Nick Cage gets imprisoned. And then there's like a weird uh, leader of a... They try to combine, you know, the the East and the West. So there's like this white guy in a white Colonel Sanders suit who has a weird accent. He kind of talks like Will Forte and he's got a hat. And he's okay. like the pimp of all of these geishas. And you're kind of going, okay. Oh boy. And three of them escape. And Sophia Batella is, is his favorite girl. And you're kind of going, oh, okay, oh. I've seen this. Okay. Um, and she escapes, but somehow gets stuck in Ghostland, which is like this wasteland area that's we find out later there's a reason they can't leave and the whole plot is basically he convinces nick cage okay we'll free you but you have to go find sophia patel and bring her back but we're gonna put you in this suit that has bombs that are on your forearms on your neck and on your testicles <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and i shouldn't be bored by this film i shouldn't be bored by a movie that has testicle bombs but I was. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing really made sense. The I didn't care. Like I didn't care what was happening, and that's sure. a bummer. And so Nick Cage you're goes just like save blow her up his balls. Big, Who cares? They blow up his balls, and you're like, oh Wait, yeah, really? Yeah, they blow up his one of his balls, and he's like, ah, because she has to speak his her name into his voice box. Bombs. It was a whole thing. 
I don't know. I feel like there is an audience for this film, and it was not me. It needed snappier editing. It needed fun music cues. It needed a, a bigger performance from Nick Cage, I'll be honest. It started pretty cool, and then it just, again, went real boring. Wow. I don't know. Maybe I had too high of hopes, because I was going, I mean, come on. How can I go wrong with this? But I was not interested. just felt like I'd seen it all before. Yikes. So I mean, you're not the first person to have said that, so. I About this movie? About this movie. Like, I don't think it was just you. Like, oh! I, people didn't care for it. Oh, yeah. It just, it didn't have any energy. I don't know. I was, and visually, it's very beautiful. It just didn't do it for me. Didn't do it Bummer. for me. Bummer. Well, speaking of, I, I guess, action-ish movies that have an audience that is not <laughs> me, I okay. watched one called Eight for Silver, which oh, I no. turned off after 30 minutes. It's a werewolf movie. I didn't really get to the werewolf of it all because it starts off the first half hour. There are two horrifically inhumane massacres. The movie starts in the trenches of World War One, where a bunch of soldiers are literally mowed down by German machine guns and tear gassed or, you know, a mustard gassed. And it was all just a lot. Then they take you into the like the medical tent where a guy has been shot multiple times and is spurting blood the doctor removes the bullets and one of them is like a bullet shaped piece of silver and that because the because the werewolves yes because the werewolves so that begins this whole thing then we're we go to i think england maybe this is all in france i was confused oh we go back in time 35 years that's what it was we go back in time 35 years maybe it was france maybe it was england i'm not sure there are these children in a wealthy do they have like french accents no they all had british accents but it was supposed to be in france so i was confused and you know they're in a wealthy manner and then there is an encampment of travelers that they are hunting down. Someone is hunting down to get rid of the, you know, they call them gypsies. And they murder all of them horrifically. Oh, they come in on no. horseback and, and shoot everyone uh, as they're trying to run away. They burn them down. And one of them, they, they cut off his limbs and then put him on a stake as a scarecrow to slowly die. Oh, boy. It was... I just had, um, I had a question, but I think I'm going to not ask it. (laughs) Okay. I mean, you can ask. I don't know. Where did they put the stick? I mean, I think pretty straight up. I don't know if I recall. It was incredibly graphic. And yet I I think I I stopped looking at a lot of it, to be honest. I just was like, I'm not watching this. Wow. Okay. So it was that graphic. Like I, we've watched some graphic gory movies and like, it's not my favorite thing. But, like, this was right too much for me. I just could not. It sounds like um The Proposition, that Australian movie that I had to leave. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's and like, so- oh, and then this person was whipped so much that their skin was okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> when you didn't watch, um, oh, God, oh, shoot. What was that movie that came out about the slaves um, with a famous actress that came out this year? Not Abolition, but it was something. Oh, uh, the one with Janelle Monet. Yeah. The one that was like, the big twist was that it was all a, oh, did you finish watching it? Yes, I watched it. 
The one where it was like, oh, and the twist was that it was like a, a theme park for racists, right? Right. It was like a modern day. Yes. Yo, did you watch it? No, I think I watched the Red Letter Media review of it. <laughs> Got you. It started with an A. It was like... It did. Antebellum. Antebellum. It was Janelle Monet, and it was Antebellum. It was kind of like that where there was like all of this horrifically graphic, gory stuff that like didn't really need to happen for the story. Like, I was just like, we, we don't need to show all of this. This is just torture porn essentially especially in antebellum where it was just like sometimes less is more yes you you can imply the violence without showing all of the violence in antebellum it's even worse because that movie made these actors reenact this horrifying stuff and it's like why are we doing this we don't anyway i'm surprised that you watched that i got roped into watching it and um you know i guessed it very early on the plot twist and i was like well this is stupid i hate this but so eight for silver graphic 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 anyway these young children oh right so so one of the travelers she has these wow. like um, so you didn't you didn't turn it off when they scarecrowed someone you kept watching. Wow. I, I, I managed to keep... I was like, okay, well, we'll see where this goes. So meanwhile, before they murder everyone, some guy had brought... It was all very confusing, too, was part of the problem. Some guy brought in... There were these silver medallions, which turns out, I, I found out later, were supposed to be silver from... That was paid for Jesus or, or, or something like that. It was related to Jesus oh, like Christ the, and the crucifixion. The, like... Didn't Judas, like, take Yes, to betray to him. Sell him out? That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. So apparently the silver that was given to Judas to betray Jesus was used and melted down in a skull to create a set of teeth jaws that were then buried at the feet of the Scarecrow Massacre guy. And she curses all of the... It seemed like they were Brits, but who knows? All of the, the men that massacred everyone she curses them and says you will know true death or something like that now i'm like ooh, is there is there a fun not fun movie where where judas is a werewolf i mean maybe that's what it is i i didn't get there and maybe i should have said that's what it it, is really had no interest wait that's so so that's the twist i i I don't know because i didn't i didn't finish the movie but yeah so these kids start having nightmares where they start seeing the scarecrow and the the teeth and then they go and wander into the woods and find it one of the kids pulls it out and is compelled to put it in his mouth as like vampire teeth and then he bites one of the other kids who then turns into like some sort of weird octopus monster after being bitten he's like been you know he's like slowly having issues and the parents are like oh my god what happened to our kid he's you know bitten by some sort of wild animal and that was when i said i'm out this is stupid but apparently there's a werewolf and the the silver coins from judas come into play and there's like a, a a guy who's been trying to to murder all of the the travelers it was um it was a lot and i i did not care for it at all but i do know that a lot of people enjoyed it yeah, that definitely sounds like it's not for you or me. I'm cool. It was visually pretty interesting. Like, like it looked good, you know, aside from right, the right, horrible right. gore. Yeah, it was weird. When Nicolas Cage's forearm got blown off, instead of, like, his whole arm being missing, and then it really <laughs> turning into, like, an army of darkness situation, it just sort of gave him, like, a big cut on his arm. Like, not a cut, oh. but, like, it just sort of was like a wound. I guess they were, like, micro bombs. I mean, I was going to say, if it only got rid of one testicle... They can't be particularly large. But the bombs. weird thing was, it was like right 
on the front of his pants. And I was like, where are his testicles? Like it was on either side of his crotch. And I was like, what are we doing? This seems like dick territory. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Well, on um, not a lighter note, should we talk about another doc that we both watched? Uh, The Alvin Ailey doc? Why is it not lighter? I mean, you know, obviously there's a tragic end. Well, okay. Okay, great. Um, Lighter than the scarecrow werewolf massacre monster. I thought you said on not a lighter note. And I was like, how is that darker? I thought the Alvin Ailey doc was (gasps) really nice. (laughs) Yes. I didn't love this doc. It was so depressing. I thought it was pretty slow. The best part about it, unfortunately, is the archival footage of the dancing, which is spectacular. But all the interviews felt really timid and everyone's dancing around because like pretty early on, I was like, oh, Alvin Ailey was a gay man and nobody was talking about it. Nobody said the word gay, really. Tragically, he died of AIDS. One was really talking about it. They just kept being like, he was sick. And it was like they were almost still bowing down to him because they all looked up mm. to him so much. Right. And it was just um, like not a personal portrait. Let's say that. It felt like nobody really knew him. And that's sort of how he lived his life. He kept his right. private life private and, you know, didn't discuss his his personal relationships with people. Everyone felt like he kept them at a distance. And so for me, I think because nobody was willing to really, there was one choreographer who was sort of like, I mean, come on, we all knew what was happening. You know, like he was sort of getting into it a little bit more. But I think a more interesting doc would maybe be because people didn't seem to be willing to not tarnish his name, but just sort of talk Uh, openly about this man they didn't seem to know him very well right and so i think maybe just a doc about the alvin ailey institute and dance school would have been more interesting than just about him because if you're not going to really get into it it sort of just stayed on the surface and was a sad portrait of this man who didn't feel like he could really be himself and i didn't find it particularly inspiring except when they were showing the actual like archival footage of the dancing which again was spectacular so i don't know i would say maybe just go watch more archival footage almost i I agree I i learned a lot no this was the opposite of summer of soul for me it was kind of like a mixture of the formats of the Rita Moreno doc and the Summer of Soul doc, but it didn't achieve mm-hmm. the fabulosity of either of them. I mean, like the archival yeah. footage was fabulous, but that was the only part, like you said, that I was engaged. Otherwise, I was like very, it was very slow, very A&E, very just kind of like, and here's people talking about him in a Talking Heads style documentary. And it was just dragging on. The pacing was slow. I would love to watch more of the dance because it was spectacular. But the movie itself well, was not particularly well crafted. Yeah. Had they focused on the Academy more, it right. would have given people I think that's a good more idea. opportunity to, to talk about sort of their involvement in themselves and less about... Alvin Ailey, the person, mm-hmm. it would have been exciting because, um, you know, the little chirons under everyone, it said, oh, so-and-so, you know, dance from this year to that year or right. 
they were in charge or whatever it is. And so they could be like, oh, well, I was I was the one that did this kind of piece or that kind of piece. It needed to find a more compelling story to tell. And I think yeah. that would have been the way to do it for me. I agree. And I think, too, the nice thing about that would have been that it would show his legacy more, you know? And exactly. I mean, obviously, they touched on that. But I think if you really focused on his legacy of creating this institute of of inspiring all of these people that then transcends it it shows you like yes it's tragic that we lost him so young but it, at least there was all of these accomplishments and and the things that he brought lived on and and affected so many people i think yeah. that story and, could have been better told yeah and all the people that he brought together so yes. it was a kind of a pass for me i found it to be pretty boring and i think i would just say go watch the archival footage of the dancing from yeah if you can oh find God. it i can't say it enough watch. oh so i mean really mesmerizing oh. spectacular moving it, Truly, like you get it when when they all are talking about how revolutionary it was. Like you get it. You're like, oh my god. Like yes. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yay for that. But on a whole, it was a pass for me. Yeah. Speaking of passing, is that too rude? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> we can talk about passing. Passing the new Rebecca Hall directed movie based on the Nella mm-hmm. Larson book from Harlem Renaissance. This was also featuring real Tessa Thompson. Kind of sn- Oh, of course. Obviously Tessa and Thompson and Ruth Nega are goddesses. They're yeah. spectacular. They're amazing. Yeah. They both did I- a great job, but the movie itself was so sort of Rebecca Hall talked about it at the beginning like, "Oh, this short story is such a puzzle box of is it about this? Is it about that? Is it about her? Is is this actually happening? What's going on? And I think she didn't quite know what she wanted to say with this movie. And I it shows because it was all kind of vague and... Eh, I don't know. I found this really kind of boring after a while. I found it boring as well. I thought that the vibe was interesting. Okay, so it's it's in black and white. I don't know why it was in four by three. Right. The black and oh white Oh my God. Drove me crazy. The black and white, so it's about two women in the 20s in New York, and they're both light-skinned enough that they could pass for white. Right. And one of them has married, is has is passing so much so that she has married a white man, and he he doesn't know. Uh, but and they used is, to know each other, and he is fully fucked and racist and gross. Right. Um, yes, Alexander Skarsgård So that's sort of the story. And is a racist bigot. Right, exactly. Yes. That's sort of the story. And then they become friends. And then Ruth Nega's character becomes more and more, you know, infiltrating of Tessa Thompson's family, let's say, right? And, and her life. It's like she's slowly trying right. to take over her life. And then she kind of gets jealous. But that's and then... even giving it a little bit too much um, agency, I would say. <laughs> well, maybe, right? That she's just like basically a lonely woman. Or is she, it was like, you know, there was stuff there, but like you said, everything was so subtle that in the end, the movie didn't really tell any story or say much of anything. Yeah. You know, it's implied that maybe they sort of had a thing when they were friends back in the day, but nothing really comes of that. And we never see any of it. On some level, they felt that the text was so precious, they didn't want to touch it. And therefore it didn't quite translate to the screen in an interesting way. Yeah, I agree. So, I don't know. I mean, if you read the book and you found it interesting and you like those actresses, you could watch it. But it was very subtle and yeah. just, I and don't know, it, didn't, it wasn't engaging. No. Oh, my God. And that piano lick that kept popping up, I swear to God, if I heard well, it one more oh my time, God. I was going to go crazy. About, can we talk about the sound in general? Because <gasps> Yes. So, at the beginning, 
Rebecca Hall said something like, thanks, I think Dolby Atmos Dolby. or something like that for yeah. for doing the sound. And it was terrible. It was like <laughs> they were at a party and the background sounds of extras just gabbing at the party was so much louder than the dialogue that was happening. Like, it was crazy to me. And maybe that's was- my speakers at home. But that's a problem. Because nope, it happened to me too. And I was like, maybe something's wrong. Even though these speakers, I like took far too long before Wonder Woman to like make sure that they were all <laughs> set up properly and Dolby Atmosy and whatever. And I was just like, right. I had to turn the surround sound down because I was like, this is far too yeah. loud. Thank God that I can edit it in an app and just be like, shh. I couldn't do that. And so I kept being like, what? Huh? Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm hearing the music and not the dialogue. Right, or I'm hearing footsteps really loudly in the other room or like the children when they were really upstairs. Loud. Yeah, ugh. Very strange. And it was in 4.3, which drove me insane. Ugh. There's absolutely no reason to do that unless it's the fucking lighthouse and you're a pretentious ass who's filming it on a even, camera from 1918. Even then, I was still mad about the 4.3 in lighthouse. Like... <laughs> No. This was fine. The actresses were fabulous. It was not for me, really. I didn't find it particularly compelling. No, I didn't find it compelling or really memorable or noteworthy. The actresses are fabulous, but that's about it. So it was a bummer. So speaking of, uh, let's say, minimal uh, movies, right? I watched Mm -hmm. Be Called Land that's directed by Robin Wright. I'd say 80% of the movie is her by herself. And yet she herself is so compelling that I was not bored. Robin Wright, I mean, honestly, can't say enough. You know, it starts, she's in therapy. uh, Something horrible has happened. We don't know what that is. And then she's driving up into the mountains in a U-Haul and... She has bought um, a big piece of land up in, I think, like Montana, I want to say. Out in the middle of nowhere, no electricity, no, you know, there's an outhouse, the whole shebang. She needs to Mm -hmm. get away from it all because of something that happened. And she's going to try and survive off the land. And of course, uh, things go wrong. She's ill-prepared, et cetera, et cetera. She sort of has a death wish. So you're not really mad. Like, you're not like, bitch, what? You didn't bring that? You know, you're not mad at her because in some way she does want to sabotage herself. She almost dies and a Thanks. sort of hunter comes upon her and they strike up a friendship sort of over their mutual, I don't want to say despair, but uh, terrible things have happened to both of them. So... It is a heavy movie that is depressing, but Mm -hmm. I was engaged with it the whole time and it's beautiful to look at. The pacing was right in this case where it was like a minimal movie, but it was paced in a way that it kept moving forward. Right. That's, you know, that's all you really need. It can, something can be slowly paced in a, in a progressive, like in a way that still works. There's a difference between. Well, I think about like um, Blade Runner 2049. A very slow sure. movie that I was completely yes. engaged with for the whole three, four hours that it was, whatever it was. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I would say Land is very good, but also it was it was sad. So it's not like a fun, oh, and then she built her own garden and everything was great. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty depressing. Right. But it's also about overcoming and the whole point is like, I, I have to keep living. I have to move on. And, and sure. so that there is inspiring in, the, in that way. Well, so speaking of death wishes, I watched one called On the Count of Three, which is about two friends 
who decide to murder each other to to commit suicide together mutual suicide and then yeah and then that's how it starts on the count of three they're both going to shoot each other and then one of them is like wait 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 i want to have like a last day let's have a last day together they kind of try and get closure on a bunch of things in their lives and in the process it's revealed that one of them the the one who was who was broken out of a psychiatric ward by his friend who's like hey let's kill ourselves he has like a history so much, of trauma um, so many suicide packs <laughs> yeah yeah it was um it was a lot it was this one was interesting where there was sort of a, a humor like i feel like the script was probably a drier blacker humor than came across on the screen for me i don't think that the okay. acting necessarily did the script justice and or the directing, the timing of it, the pay, like it just, things didn't land in a comedic way. And so then it just was kind it's of hard. constantly bleak. Yeah. It's like, um, I just watched World's Greatest Dad, which is this hitch black comedy with Robin Williams and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. And it involves suicide and stuff like that. It, it rides the line so perfectly between, oh my God, hilarious and horribly, horribly sad. And that's so impossible to do. So, you know, they yeah. can't all be winners. Yeah. The script was clearly personal, I feel like. you know, So one of the characters, he keeps talking about, like, he's dealing with emotional trauma from being bullied. And, and he runs into a character that apparently, you know, hit him with his truck and was like, oh my God, that was so hilarious. And then... He's like, yeah, I was in physical therapy for two years. It was weird. It's revealed that he was molested as a child by his therapist, who was um, the the Fonz. Um, Harvey... uh, Henry Winkler? Henry Winkler shows up as this therapist. Oh, no! (laughs) Who then gets murdered. Oh! Because he was like, well, fuck it, if we're going to kill ourselves then i'm gonna go and shoot the doctor that molested me because fuck him and then he decides he's not gonna do it but henry winkler gets the gun and his friend shows up and sees henry winkler pointing the gun at him and then he shoots henry winkler so that they run away from the police and then anyway his friend commits suicide and is like you can you know put the murder of the doctor on me Uh, i didn't care for this movie it just didn't work for me i watched another one that was french called Mother Schmuckers, that was the translation, about two sons that are kind of like fuck-ups and they're, you know, on these adventures and they, they're always causing trouble. And they're very poor. Their mom is forced into prostitution. They don't have any food and they're, they're constantly trying to get food and then they lose their mom's dog and they have to find the dog is like the plot of the movie. And oh, it starts God. off with them This is like Umberto cooking. D all over again. Oh. What is this? Umberto D, that Italian movie that's just like about a sad old man trying to stop his dog, like that got lost from getting uh, euthanized at the pound. It's awful. Oh, I mean, gosh. it's very oh. powerful, but dear Lord, sure. is it upsetting? Yeah, well, so this is upsetting in like a weird, it's like um, kind of funny. It, like a, it is certainly a dark humor. This was in the midnight section. You know, it starts with them cooking dog shit in the kitchen as if they were going to eat it. Dog, but dog when- shit, not doggy chow. Oh my god, I love Ducky Chow. No, it was not that. This was not. There was no Spago scene. Anyway, you know, so so then they they're just constantly fucking up because they're fighting with each other. They're like two crazy brothers. Oh wow, aren't they crazy? And then he takes the dog to like a human dog orgy party. 
Um, oh, no. Yeah, I'm good. This seems like a yeah. for me. This so that was when I was tired and I was like, I'm cool. It's fine. I don't you need to finish this. So I don't actually know how it ends, but, um, you know, there was that. Great. Well, on a happier note, one of the movies that I would really actually recommend that I liked a lot was called Marvelous in the Black Hole, also directed by a woman. Woohoo! Yeah. I know you said you didn't really love it as much as I did, but I really liked it. I thought it was sweet and heartfelt. It's about a young girl who's lost her mom and she's having anger issues. And she sort of comes upon Rhea Perlman, who's a magician for children's parties. They form a friendship. And I just thought it was nice. Like, I was like, this was a pleasant watch. It was nice. Rhea Perlman, uh, fuck, I love her. Love her. You know, she's great. There was never any sort of energy. Like, I didn't feel the energy of the movie pick up. And so I felt like it was a little draggy. It was a little slow And I just wanted it to be like a little bit more fabulous or something. I did like Mm. it. I I understand what you're saying. It it was sweet and it was a nice story about processing grief. And we find out that like Rhea Perlman also similarly has a story of grief that she found magic helped her with. And I thought that was all really sweet. It had a lot of themes that I don't think are always addressed in movies. So it had like a Asian American lead and... Uh, the whole family and and that story it told a story of girls doing magic, which is very you know rare, which is sad. Sure. Um. So I thought it highlighted a lot of things that I think will speak to people. And no, it it could have been more fabulous and fun, but I think it wanted to be more deep and powerful about grief of it all. And I liked that it almost did, it wasn't quite, but it almost did the Little Miss Sunshine thing where it's building to this thing and you know she's going to put on a magic show and it's going to be amazing. And it was like cute. You're like, oh, she did a a cute show. And of course she's not mastered it. She isn't going to become, you know, Penn and Teller immediately. Um, So I liked that it was like realistic in that way. Um, yes, that's very and, true. And I really liked the the lead, the girl. I thought she was really good. And the sister, they were funny together. Like, I thought they did a good uh-huh. job representing the interpersonal stuff with the dad and all of that. I don't know. I think maybe we had different different expectations. It was also the first movie I watched of the day that I had watched it. So I was like, fresh-faced, ready to go, Rhea Perlman, magic, yes. <laughs> there you go. And I, that it was not the first movie that I watched of the day. And so maybe that had part to do with it. Although you do, I think actually... There was a lot of Little Miss Sunshine vibes and tone to it. You know, it had that kind of similar, like, a little darkness. I mean, she's, like, smoking cigarettes, this, like, 13-year-old girl. I was like, what's happening? And she's, like, tattooing tattooing herself. herself. Yeah. It didn't shy away from real and deep things, but... It also right. didn't go so dark that you were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. I agree. It did a really nice job of telling a story of finding something to bring light and to help process the grief. And I do think that that's important yeah. and rare. Yes. And an outlet. I-, I just thought it was it was very nice. I think you could definitely watch it. It was cute. and um, Definitely. 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 Fabulous performances. It was a recommend for me. Well, so that is Sundance 2021. We saw a lot of <laughs> movies. Some better than others. Uh, cried multiple times, uh, laughed yep. often, fell asleep a few times too, I'll be honest. Uh, so it was a whole range. It was a whole range. A whole range. To be fair, I have also fallen asleep numerous times when literally at Sundance in a theater. Right. So I don't think that was um, necessarily the virtualness of it all for me. 
<laughs> no, I, I think probably the opposite. You probably much better slept. Cheers. I'm, I'm hoping that next year we get to go back to Park City and, you know, party with Zac Efron in real life. Oh my God. Yes. Here's to uh, future goals. <laughs> yes. Squad goals. <laughs> Squad goals. Cheers. Cheers.